church. If this is your first time, I just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. Something that we do every week is that sometime in the service, we go through a question and answer as a part of the New City Catechism. And this is 
just a series of questions and answers, just essentials of our faith. And so we're in week number five this week, and we want to do this. Um, I'm going to ask this question. It's on your screen. Let's say this answer out loud together. The question is this. What else did God create? Say this with me. God created all things by his powerful word, and all his creation was very good. Everything flourished under his loving rule. We see this further in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verses 11, where the elders make this exclamation. They say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. We worship the God of creation, the one who created all things, and it is by his will that we are here this morning and that we are his. So let's continue to praise him this morning. Out of this song, out of Psalm 150. Honey. 
Church, hear these words out of Isaiah 42 this morning. It says, Thus says the Lord, the God, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. This is the Creator God speaking, and He's speaking of Jesus, the chosen servant, here in verse 6. It says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. And I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. And then this is us right here, what he does for us to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. We have a creator God who sent his son Jesus to open the blind eyes to set the captives free that is what you and me we walk in right now everything stems from that we have a God who created and brought us into existence and so as we continue let's do this let's take a minute to seek the Lord and thank him that he has created us and that he has redeemed us and that he sustains us so right where you're at, let's take a minute just to do that. Seek the Lord. Thank Him this morning. Thank you today that you came to earth, that you came to earth to redeem us, to call us by name, to open our blind eyes, to set us free, to give us freedom, to give us eternity with you. 
I pray this morning that as we walk through today, as we walk through this coming week, that you would empower us, Lord. Help us remember where our strength comes from. It is solely of your hand. Let us seek you in all things. Let us acknowledge you in all things. Let us remember that you are our sole source of hope, that you are our sole source of rescue.
Does the Father truly love us? Does the Spirit move among us? And is Jesus our Messiah forever those He loves? He does. Does a God intend to dwell again with us?
for you, Lord. For you created all things, and by your will, you we were created and we exist. Lord, remind us daily, Lord, why we're here. Lord, remind us why we're not here. We're not here to build a name for ourselves. We're not here to go accumulate riches, to accumulate things. But we're here to be obedient servants, to declare the glory of the coming kingdom, to declare a person, King Jesus. Pray that you would just do a work within us, do a work within our hearts as we hear from Hebrews 11 today. Speak by the power of your spirit. Change us. Do a work within us, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. It is ages uh, 4 through 7 this morning, is that correct? Ages 4 through 7 can be dismissed. morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, it is a privilege to gather here as your people and to sit under your word by which you reign and rule as king and head of your church. You are worthy and I pray that you would help me to preach for that reason and that reason alone because you are worthy. And I pray that those gathered would listen for that reason. I do not have anything to offer of myself. I am not wise or clever or engaging enough my words have no power but your word is powerful and you are all wise and you're sovereign and you're worthy and so God I pray that you would kill within me every impulse of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I pray that for those gathered here, the same, and that you would help us to receive with meekness the word implanted which is able to save our souls. Please use your word to shape us and change us. Give us rapt attention to what your word teaches. Thank you 
for gathering us here today for life and breath and all things and redemption through Christ alone. And so we make this prayer in his name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, If you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 11. If you want to get an outline, they're on the back table. Feel free to do that. You can follow along, take notes. I've got the cross-references that we're going to use today uh, on the back of that as well. Uh, A tall task this morning. We're going to try to get through Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 22. And part of the reason that we're going to move at such speed through this particular portion of Hebrews 11 is simply that we spent... Uh, in, in the last two years, so in 2021 and 22, we spent that, a year and a half of that going through the book of Genesis, uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, through that whole book. So if you're interested in any of the things uh, that we talk about here, uh, I have probably preached for 45 or 50 minutes on that one thing. So you can go back and listen to that. If you're interested in Uh, getting a link for those things, I'll be happy to share that with you later. Um, So because we've studied this in depth, I'm going to take it, I'm going to assume some things. Uh, I'll try to explain what I can, um, but I'm coming at this from, hey, we've studied the book of Genesis. So we're gonna move through it. Okay, we'll be in Hebrews 11, starting in verse eight. Um, For a few years, my family uh, has been using a small catechism with our kids to try to instill in them the basic essential tenets of the Christian faith. Uh, In many ways, uh, kids' catechisms especially seek to ask the questions that kids are going to ask eventually and then to give them the answer before they actually ask it. So we're almost preempting them with the question and tucking an answer away in their little hearts and minds so that when they ask the question, we can direct them back. Well, you tell me, what does it say? It's actually really brilliant. Um, Because we're we're answering questions that they're going to ask anyway. Now, my sermon today is not entitled In Praise of Catechesis. Um, I said all of that to say this. One of the questions that our little book, it's called My First Book of Questions and Answers. It's like $4.00. And it's amazing, 114 questions. But one of the questions in that book is, how were people saved who lived before Christ died? That's a good question. This is a question that I remember struggling with in middle school and asking and wishing that I had a very satisfying answer for. So if you're if your child or someone that you know, someone that you're discipling, your roommate, right, your coworker says, okay, I get the whole Jesus thing that the church believes that, but like, what about before Jesus? How were people saved before Jesus died on the cross? Could they be saved before he died on the cross? How would you answer that question? Hopefully, you'd answer it the way the Bible does because we're not left to wonder. Here's, let me tell you what our catechism says. Um, First, and then we'll tell you what Hebrews 11 says. So our catechism says they believed in the Savior that God would send. That's it. I mean, there's more to say, right? But for a five-year-old, that's perfect. And we could boil it down even further. We could boil it down to two words. So long as when we say one of these words, we mean what the Bible means. 
It's, Hebrew, it's the answer that Hebrews 11 would give us. By faith. By faith. This is how the saints of old were saved. They were saved by faith. They lived by faith. They were upheld by faith and they died in faith. So stand with me and let's read Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 22 together. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she had considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars in heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland." If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, once again, we praise you and thank you for your word. It is good. And we want to hear it. And we want to surrender ourselves to it. And we want to yield ourselves to it and obey. Spirit of God, would you give us this grace? Thank you that you are with us and that you help us. Christ be exalted. Father, be glorified in the time that we spend. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. The first thing that we see from verses 8 through 12 is that Abraham's family was a miraculous family. It was a miraculous family. Um, you may remember this from our study of Genesis if you were here, but Isaac was a miracle baby. Right? But he isn't the only miracle in the story of Abraham. So look, I want you to turn to Joshua chapter 24 with me. 
I'll have it behind me, and it's also in uh, your handout, but I always love for you to look in your own Bible if you have one. Joshua chapter 24. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. So the sixth book of the Bible. Um, Joshua has gathered the, the tribes of Israel together, and he's going to talk to them. This is sort of like what Moses does in Deuteronomy, but way shorter. Um, and he's, he's giving them, he's telling them the story in a condensed way. But he begins with Abraham. And Joshua said, verse 2, to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, which is a river, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father, Abraham, from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. So why point that out? Because Abraham didn't always worship the one true and living God. He worshiped false gods. He was a pagan idolater when God took him. Abraham himself was a miracle. It's when God takes a sinner, a pagan idol worshiping sinner like you and me or Abraham and he calls them to himself. It's a miracle every time. Always a miracle, right? Why are you a believer in Christ? Why are you saved? Because God's worked a miracle not because you were awesome, not because God needed a you in the kingdom, because God is incredible and powerful and loving and set his love on you and worked a miracle that we call regeneration. When he quickens a dead heart, makes it alive, draws it to himself. God's call upon sinners is a miracle of grace every single time. And this is what happened with Abraham. So, because Abraham's story in chapter 11 starts in verse 8, but it doesn't start there. It starts beyond the Euphrates where Abraham bowed himself before idols. So the fact that he obeys God, the fact that he was called by God is a miracle. And then God worked a miracle, verse 8, verse 9, to convince Abraham of the trustworthiness of his promise so that he would set his heart on a heavenly city and thus leave home as an old man. Do you know how hard it is to get an old person to leave their house? Seriously, my papa, my, my mom's grandfather was notorious. We would go out to eat when I was in high school uh, to a place called Annie Ann's. We'd go there a lot. Uh, and, and we would come home back to our house and like the second his backside landed on the couch. He would shout into the kitchen where my mom and my grandmother were talking. Trail, that was her name, Trail, Latrell. Trail, we better get home. Like the second he got comfortable, he wanted to get back home, right? So Abraham is like 75 years old and God calls him to leave home and go where? where? He didn't know. Go, just leave, pack up and leave. Go, I will show you. Like we're talking, this is like camel through the eye of a needle kind of miracle here. To, to convince, to so convince 
this former pagan idol worshiper of the trustworthiness of his promise to such an extent that as an old man, he moves out of a home and into tents, right? Look, that's what it says. I'm really fighting the urge to make a joke like, boy, living in the land was intense. There, I made it, I made it. Anyway, okay. Uh, but he, he left, not knowing where he was going, he lived in the land of promise. Um, R.C. Sproul points this out in a book called What is Faith? So he's, R.C. Sproul has taken Hebrews 11 and written a whole book about faith. It's wonderful. Um, here's what he says about Abraham. He says, Abraham was an old man. He had his roots firmly established in Mesopotamia, which is that beyond the Euphrates. That's where his family was. That's where his possessions were. That's where his heritage was. But then in his old age, God came to him and said, I want you to get out of this land. Get out of your place where you're culturally comfortable. I am going to make you an alien in a strange and foreign land. I'll show you where it is. It was only by faith that Abraham obeyed God. Like Abraham was walking out what Paul calls the obedience of faith. This is Romans 1, 5 and 16, 26. You can just see it. Uh, the obedience of faith. Paul's apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith. The intent of the gospel is to bring about the obedience of faith. There is no true obedience without faith and there is no genuine faith without obedience. The miracle of true faith gives way to the miracle of faith-filled obedience and genuine obedience requires genuine faith, right? Like think about it. People will only deny self make sacrifices now and obey God rather than their appetites or desires only when God convinces them of his own worth and the superiority of the future he's preparing. Only when you trust God will you go out like that. Only when you take his word seriously because you take his character seriously Will you be convinced that the future that he's preparing for you is better than anything that you could get right now? And so you'll obey. Abraham, eight and nine, Abraham was a miracle. And he was looking toward the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then there's Sarah. She's barren and she's past the childbearing age. Like as it relates to bringing forth life, both Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead. If you don't know the story, Sarah was 90. Abraham was like 99 or maybe 100 years old when Isaac was born. Like I, they probably aged a little differently, but 100, 90? Like it's hard, it's hard being in your mid-30s raising a kid, having a baby. I've never even actually birthed a baby. Their bodies were both dead as it relates to bringing forth life. That's what he says, right? Verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead. But here's what happened. Like Sarah made a conscious decision to reckon God as faithful. So it goes a little bit like this, the wrestling of that. I know that everything I see and feel tells me it will never happen, but God has said it will. What will I trust? 
Whom will I trust? And then a decision, I will trust God who is faithful, dependable, and true. He will neither fail nor put me to shame. He does not lie. His word is sure. I've said this numerous times, but there is a kid's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And um, the Sally Lloyd-Jones writing this Bible, she uses this phrase of many people in the Bible. Uh, and, and she talks about trusting more than what their eyes could see. So Mary believed God more than what her eyes could see. Abraham trusted God more than what his eyes could see. And that's what's happening here. I don't know if Sarah had a mirror, but she looks in the mirror and she sees a 90-year-old face looking back at her and God has told me that I'm gonna have a baby? And she chooses to believe. And so did Abraham. Romans 4 is this wonderful uh, chapter about how, it, how Abraham becomes the father of many nations, the father of those who have faith. And in chapter uh, 4, verse 18, it says this. Well, if, and even if you go back to 17, uh, Abraham was believing in God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. And then in 18, in hope, he believed against hope. So it's almost as though like even hope would have given up on Abraham and Sarah being able to conceive a child. So even hope is kind of like, yeah, this is dicey. And Abraham still had hope to believe against hope. He and Sarah received miraculous power to conceive life. So in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. So, so it's, it's based on God's word. God told him, therefore, it's going to happen because God is true to his word. He's faithful. He won't let his words fall to the ground. He won't let them fail. You keep reading. Um, I'm, I don't have uh, 19 behind me, but if you're looking with me, just keep reading. Uh, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. They believed. Even when everything was to the contrary, they believed. They trusted God. We have a privileged perspective from which we can see God's faithfulness to that promise in a way that Abraham never got to see in this life. Uh, he, God indeed worked miracles to give them an innumerable amount of physical descendants. But even more, if you consider how the New Testament actually frames Abraham's family as a spiritual lineage, where he's the father of all who share his faith, it's like the sand on the sea, on the seashore. We see God's faithfulness to this promise and, and it's not done yet. Like that, that kingdom is still spreading and growing even as we speak. He is the patriarch of God's faith family from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. That's a miracle that God has worked. 
right? So it's not just bringing Isaac into a wor- the world that was a miracle. The existence of this family, the existence of this faith family, you yourself are a miracle, a walking miracle. God has worked to convict you of your sin and bring you to repentance and faith. So God has worked miracles through the faith of this family and he's continuing to do so today. Abraham's family is a miraculous family. Um, Verses 13 through 16 teach us that Abraham's family is a family of strangers. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, they all died in faith. Right, that's what it says. Right, look at 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They did not inherit all the things. So like God promises these things and in Abraham's like 140 years of living, God doesn't deliver on everything that he promised. So what happens? Does Abraham give up his faith at the end of his life? And he's like, I'm, I'm growing old. God, his word is not true because he hasn't given me everything he's promised. No, he died, took his last breath, believing that God would be faithful to his promises. The fact that they did not receive what he promised in this life did not render his word less true in their minds. And here's the thing. What this is telling us is the reason they didn't inherit it all in their lifetime is that this is not home. This is not it. Our hope is not in this life. And they actually confess that very truth. It says, verse 13, they acknowledged, they confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Their faith changed how they thought about and spoke of themselves in, in this world. Faith taught them that this broken temporary world is not home. And so in faith, by their faith, they saw from afar a, a temporal distance from them, a, a distance of time, not necessarily of space, they saw the fulfillment of God's promises as they greeted them from afar. If you look at John chapter eight, verse 56, Jesus is having a, let's just call it a chat with the Pharisees and the leaders and the Jews. And he's, he's about to make this incredible claim that before Abraham was, I am, which is like the divine name, and he's calling himself God, and they're very scandalized by that. But before that, the thing that spurs the next question they ask so that he says that is he says, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. Abraham saw the day of Christ from afar and was glad. He greeted it from afar. And so Jesus says that to them. Abraham was looking forward to me. And they're like, you're not even 30 years old. Have you met Abraham? And he says, I tell you what, before Abraham was, I am. Right? That's, a, that's, a big, like, that's a big deal, what Jesus is saying there. Um, but, but what it's saying is, Jesus is the promised seed that would bring blessing to the nations. Like this is what Romans 4 and Galatians 3 are talking about, right? When, when Paul in Galatians 3 is going to say, when God was talking to Abraham in Genesis 12, 
He was preaching the gospel to him. Because Christ is the seed that would bring blessing to all the nations. Okay, so Abraham saw that fulfillment far off in the distance and was glad to see his day. He died, in other words, believing in the Savior that God would send. He died trusting in the Savior that God would send. Has faith changed how you think of this life and how you think of yourself? Has your gaze been lifted beyond the here and now? Or maybe to say it differently, has your, does your faith enable you to see through this present reality to ultimate reality? Um, Al Mohler mentions that Abraham saw that city, the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder and God, that city, even while he was a wandering tribesman in the desert. Okay, this is faith. Faith trained Abraham's eyes upon that eternal abiding city even as he struggled to find water and food in the desert, living in a tent. Faith helps you see through difficulty and suffering to eternity where everything will be right, all will be well, every tear wiped away. And faith trains you to see through happy good circumstances to heaven which will be still better than the best that this life has to offer it's been an interesting juxtaposition studying this text this week because my family I'm going to use past tense but it's more like is still like we moved into a new house and when I say is still happening we are still moving into that new house it's just slowly but surely and by the way, thank you to all of the people who have either cleaned or helped us move. Um, I had someone this week say, uh, how would you move without a church? And I was like, I honestly don't know. Uh, I guess you just bribe people. Um, but I, I'm even like, what, what would I do without a church? Period. Like not just moving. That's so, that's so what would I do without you people? I love you people. Thank you. Uh, for your help this week. But anyway, it's been an interesting juxtaposition moving into our new house while I'm studying this text, right? It's a lovely house and we're so thankful to God for it and, and we should be. We hope to make lasting memories and to feel at home there. And yet as much of a gift from God as it is, not only should we hold it loosely, but I have to remember, I have to intentionally remind myself the wood is going to burn the stones will crumble. The windows, if they don't shatter from having five kids in the house, they're going to shatter at some point. The pipes will eventually burst. Thieves can break in and steal. That home is not home. It's a tent, a temporary dwelling, a home away from home. Faith helps us see through this present, transient, visible reality into future, ultimate, eternal, and yet invisible reality. Right. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we, we cited this a couple of weeks ago. I just want to call your attention to it once more. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verse 18 is what I have in mind. It says, we look... Not to the things that are seen, but, 
we look to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Like we're all moving toward a city with foundations. Like my house is built on a foundation, but it has no foundations. Its designer and builder was not God. We're moving toward home. You must confess with the patriarchs that you are a stranger and an exile. Someone who's not from here is called a foreigner, an exile, stranger, alien. First uh, Peter 1.1, 1, 1, he writes to the elect exiles. Right? Uh, in 2.11, he, he calls them exiles. He uses those words for them. Like that's our identity. We're citizens of heaven. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. This is what we're waiting on because this is who we are. At the core of our being, this is who we are. Citizens of heaven, saints of God. I was challenged about this earlier this week with an article about the September 15th, 1963 bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. It took the lives of four young African-American girls. It was carried out by the KKK. Um, this article though, the thing that challenged me is that this article argues that this was not simply one race carrying out violence on another race because that is the way that we gen generally see that and it's not untrue, right? Like it, it was done racially motivated, it was. But, but this author argued that as the body of Christ, these, these females were going to a Youth Sunday event this was violence carried out against our brothers and sisters. And we should see it more as that, even than something racially motivated, although it was. But like I was just challenged to see, those were my sisters in Christ. And the KKK, some of them horrendously in the name of Jesus carrying those things out. Those are not my brothers and sisters. These were my sisters in Christ inasmuch as they had repented and trusted in him. It was carried out against our family. This was violence against, in the same way that the covenant shootings were carried out against our family. It's a reminder, it was a reminder this week that our primary identity is that of children of God, not black or white, Pineville, Alexandria, Republican, Democrat, male or female. That's not primarily who we are anymore, right? Like 2 Corinthians 5, we, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's not the primary way that we interact with one another. We're children of God, citizens of heaven, saints of the most high God. And we must come increasingly to see that as our primary identity because that's who we are. We're wanderers and sojourners and strangers and exiles and aliens in this world. Home is there where our citizenship is. So Abraham left home because he was seeking home. Look, that's what, verse 14, people who speak thus, who speak that way, acknowledging that they're strangers and aliens, this is not home, 
they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. That's what Abraham was after. So from this example, don't seek to set up a little heaven on earth. Even your house is a home away from home. And then look at how beautiful this is uh, in verse 16. As it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, because of that, because they speak this way about themselves, that they're strangers, that this is not home and that's home. And because that is where their desire and their hopes lay for that reason, because of the faith that trains them to talk that way about themselves and desire those things, that for that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Because he has prepared for them a city. God has said we are strangers and exiles and God has told us that he is preparing a place for us. So when we speak of ourselves and this world in that way and when we desire that world and not this world, our speech and our hearts align with God's truth. We are speaking by faith in his word and we honor his character as a faithful God. Because of our faith, God is not ashamed to be called our God. God delights to be associated with his trusting people. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers, we've heard. And God is not ashamed to be called our God when we believe. And then in 17 through 22, um, Abraham's family is a future-oriented family. Everything that I've said leading up to this hopefully has had that tone to it because all of these verses have that sort of feel, a future looking. Um, but we have the word future occurring here. Um, in this moment of greatest testing, Abraham could not see the fulfillment of God's promises or the resolution of this issue. Uh, when he was, he had been told by God, Isaac is going to be, is the son of the promise. Your offspring will be named through him. Well, before Isaac had offspring, guess what God asked him to do? Hey, take him up to the top of this mountain and kill him as a sacrifice to me. Do you think that Abraham wrestled with this command? Absolutely. At the foot of Mount Moriah, the night before, he wrestled in his tent. And again, he chose to trust God. He decided in his heart that God would refuse to let circumstances invalidate his promise. Even if he went through with this act of obedience as horrific to him as it was, as the prospect of killing his only beloved son was, Abraham arrived at the... I love this. Verse 19, I love it, right? Abraham arrived at the, he reasoned it out. Like when it says, uh, considered, that word is the word from which we get our word logical. Abraham is sitting there reasoning out what's happening. God told me this and he said to do this. 
And there's no way that he would say this and it would invalidate that. So if I do this, that means what? He has to raise him from the dead. And by the way, we don't have any record in the Old Testament to this point of anybody being raised to the dead. So there's, it's not like he's like, well, he raised Jesus from the dead. You know, maybe he'll raise... Uh, maybe he'll raise Isaac from the dead too. Like he's just reasoning out and saying, well, if I kill him in obedience, he's just gonna raise him from the dead because he's that powerful and he's that faithful to his word. That God would sooner raise the dead than invalidate his word. And so Abraham would sooner kill his son than be disobedient to his word. This is an incredible interchange. He was fully convinced that God would meet him in the future. That, that's a forward looking, you've told me this. I don't have any other data to go on. I just know that you, you told me this, you've told me this. So I just know that you're gonna meet me in the future and you're gonna prove yourself faithful to what you've said. And because of that, I'm gonna act and I'm gonna do what you said. God would somehow preserve Isaac because he'd promised that he would. And so it says, figuratively speaking, literally in a parable, he did receive him back from the dead, having reckoned him as dead. Al Mohler says the following also, he's really helpful here. Um, Abraham framed his entire existence by living in anticipation of the fact that God would be faithful to his promises. Abraham framed his entire existence. Like that's Tuesday night, that's Thursday morning, that's when he's on the golf course, that's when he's at work, right? That's when he goes to bed at night, when he wakes up in the morning, when he brews his coffee, like his entire existence is framed by living in anticipation of the fact that God would be faithful to his promises. In other words, Abraham was faithful in the present because of his confidence about what God would do in the future. That's what faith is. And he goes through Isaac and Jacob and Joseph here as well. Right? Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau by faith. Right? Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And, uh, and in Jacob's blessing, he actually predicts the coming of the Messiah from the line of Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah. That's Genesis 49 when Jacob is blessing. So he's looking into the future and he's seeing the fulfillment of these things from afar. And then it says, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the Exodus, right? This is at least 430 years before it happened. He says, God's gonna visit you and bring you up. And when he does, because he will, you, you exhume my bones and you carry them with you and plant them in the promised land. Right? That's faith. It's faith. It's future looking. It's faith. They knew, they were fully convinced that God would meet their descendants in the future, demonstrate his power and prove himself faithful to all his words. 
This family of faith, Abraham's family, was a forward-looking, future-oriented family. We've seen that throughout the whole text. Verse 10, looking forward, right? That's what he says. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations. Verses 14 and 16, they are desiring, they're seeking a homeland. They're desiring a better country that is a heavenly one. A city prepared by God. They're invoking future blessings, mentioning the exodus 430 years before it happens, this family trusts God in the presence because God has assured them about the future. This is what faith does. Faith banks on God's character and his faithfulness to his word. And I want to spend the last couple of moments together. I just wanna encourage you um, because this is peculiar and, and, and it's really encouraging to me um, because the people who are talked about here are talked about almost exclusively in positive terms, in a positive light. But if you, when you read the book of Genesis, these are, these are like real flesh and blood human beings with, with major character deficiencies and moral failures and, and shortcomings of every sort. So let me, let me just rattle a few of them off. Abraham feared people to the point that he almost got his wife married to another person twice. And he impregnated the housemaid. Sarah laughed a bitter, scornful, seemingly unbelieving laugh when God mentioned that she would bear Isaac. Isaac played favorites and then tried to bless Esau over Jacob, even though, uh, even though uh, Rachel, no, not Rachel, Isaac's wife. Oh my goodness. Somebody? Rebecca. Thank you. <laughs> Isaac's wife, Rebekah, had received a word from the Lord that the older Esau would serve the younger, Jacob. And, and he tried to subvert that and just bless the firstborn. Okay? Uh, Jacob was a trickster and a polygamist, and, and even Joseph was not perfect. Here's what's beautiful. Not only did their failures not thwart God's plan, but these people are remembered here for their faith in God. Like that's what, like, God recorded this about those people. Like, he did record those things, too. So we have it clearly that these are real people. But, like, in the New Testament remembrance of these people, it is their faith for which they are brought into remembrance. And they are set forth as examples, not of how necessarily to behave, but how to believe, God chose to emphasize in his word their faith rather than their moral deficiencies. This is not to say that sin is irrelevant. It is to say that faith is what God regards. And faith is that, which, uh, that to which God draws near. Like God only saves sinners. That's it. And changed sinners who believe God's promises ultimately end up pointing to the goodness of God. Right? Not themselves. Not their own moral virtues. Not their own cleverness or craftiness or ability of any sort. Not their good looks. Not their riches. 
They're pointing to the goodness of the Savior who saved them from their rebellion by living a perfect life in their place, dying a death on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins that they committed and being raised from the dead on the third day. This is the work that Jesus did to justify those who believe in him. And it's all done for his glory and for the glory of the Father, not for our glory. You can repent and believe in the seed of Abraham who brings blessing to the nations today. You can turn from your sins and trust Jesus. You are invited. You are, I'm imploring you to do that today if you've not been made right, reconciled with God. You may think that you're too far gone to repent and trust in Jesus And I'm telling you that by faith, you can be made right if you'll repent and believe. That's it. These very sinful people are remembered for their faith, and God is offering the same to you. Repent and trust Christ. His work for yours, his death for yours, his life for yours. We are called to share Abraham's faith. He was looking forward to a savior and we trust the same savior. Part of what it means to share Abraham's faith is that we also will be a miraculous family, a family of strangers and a future-oriented family. So may God be gracious to us and make it so for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to us. I am aware of my own limitations and of my great need. So help me to cast myself by faith fully on the mercy of Christ. And I pray that the same would be true of every person in this room. Thank you for the miracle of grace that you've worked to bring people like us to yourself. Jesus, thank you for the perfect work you accomplished on the cross. May our lives of faith not make much of us, for we're not worthy of that, but you are. So let our lives and our words make much of you. I thank you that because of our faith, you are not ashamed to be called our God. You don't blush to be associated with us. Thank you. Encourage us in our identity as strangers and exiles, help us to remember that our treasure is in heaven and that we ought to be storing up treasure in heaven, not in this world. Help us look to the future. And if, Jesus, if you tarry and you don't return in our lifetime, I pray that we would die in faith, seeing in your word, And in our hearts, the fulfillment of all that you've promised and uh, beyond what we could even imagine, the fulfillment of what you've promised. Help us to see it and greet it from afar and help us to die in faith. Give us grace to trust more than what our eyes can see. And let us know 
that you will meet us tomorrow and you will never prove yourself unfaithful. Circumstances will never prove you a liar. You'll never be unfaithful to your word. So let us rest our confidence there. Thank you for this time. Please continue to use your word, Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. One act of faith that we participate in every Sunday is coming to the Lord's table. Behind me, there are two tables here that constitute one table. There's broken bread and there's poured out grape juice, the crushed fruit of the vine. And the bread represents the body of Jesus that was broken to pay the penalty for sins. And the the crushed fruit of the vine symbolizes the spilling, the shedding of the blood of Jesus instead of ours. This, we, we partake by faith of the sacrifice of Christ. We eat and drink of Christ by faith. This table proclaims salvation by faith. Therefore, this table is not for those who don't believe, who have not repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. If that is you, we urge you to take Jesus instead of the bread and the cup today. But if you are a blood-bought, born-again believer in Christ who is willing to lay down all known sin as God shows you, this table is for you. Those who are willing to lay down sin, to repent, and to walk in committed, faithful obedience to Christ, this table is for you. So we've set aside this time for examination of yourself, asking God to show you. Search my heart, try me, know my anxious thoughts. Uh, show me my sin so that I can repent of it, forsake it, so that I can come to you in faith once again. If you want to pray, I'll be down front. I would love to pray for you, pray with you. If you want to kneel here, you are welcome to do that. If you want to kneel at your seat, you're welcome to do that. But as the Lord directs, you deal with the Lord. Being ready to forsake sin and to trust Christ. And you come in faith, asking God to build up your faith as you come to the table. And Christ has promised us that when we gather in his name, we who have faith, when we gather in his name, he's there. He's here. Christ is present with us even now. So examine yourself in the presence of your king and then come, take, and we'll eat together when everyone has gotten We remember together as we approach this table that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we want our observance of this table to be fitting and worthy. So give us a proper view of your great sacrifice of your son and Jesus of your sacrifice of yourself. Give us a proper attitude and view of those around us with whom we have unity. Give us a proper view of sin and a hatred of it and repentance. Give us the gift of repentance even now. And please build us up in our most holy faith as we gather at the table. Do your work among your church, Holy Spirit. Lead us in self-examination, repentance, and trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Table's open.
Father, I confess that my faith is not big enough. And I'm sorry for the way that my, un, that my unbelief dishonors you. And I pray that you would increase my faith. I suspect I'm not alone. God, and I pray that you would help us to see that you would sooner move heaven and earth than be unfaithful to one word that you've spoken. May we share that level of commitment to your word that we would rather die than be unfaithful to your word. I pray that our church would always believe that. I pray that we as individual believers and families would always believe that. And I pray that we would trust and have confidence that all things are possible for you. Nothing is impossible with you. Nothing. So God, increase our faith and remind us once again as we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus by eating and drinking, remind us of the cost of our reconciliation and help us in a worthy manner to proclaim the death of Christ until he comes. And let us cling to that for all of our lives. And we make this prayer in his name.
On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. It says in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's drink he says for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup you proclaim the lord's death until he comes amen so for our missions moment this month because this is the month that we collect the Georgia Barnett missions offering um, we have been praying for state missions um, and so what what we want to do today uh, is we're actually going to pray uh, for this Korean Baptist Church and I'm actually going to come grab one of the brochures and read to you a little bit about it thank you on day five it says reaching Korea in Bossier City when we think about international missions we envision missionaries crossing oceans but sometimes international opportunities come to Louisiana pastor David Lee's connection to the Georgia Barnett missions offering goes back 27 years when he came to serve the Bon Suk Korean Baptist Church in Bossier City in those first five years of ministry Bon Suk Baptist received support from the Georgia Barnett offering. In 2006, the offering helped fund the construction of their main building where they gather uh, every Sunday, and you'll find 40 to 50 Korean believers gathering for worship. Ten years ago, in desperation, Wilma found herself at a rescue mission in town and connected with Bonsuk Baptist. She's now an active participant in this church. Wilma's journey is just one of the scores of stories and answered prayers that make up the DNA of Bonsuk. Okay, so when we give to the Georgia Barnett missions offering, we're actually also supporting international efforts and we're supporting churches like this Korean Baptist church in Bossier City. Um, and so today is actually the day that we're going to collect the offering. Now, if you forgot that we're doing that today, if you forgot that we are, uh, if you just forgot to bring your checkbook or whatever, you can continue to give and we'll, like, we're not, we don't send it till a couple of weeks from now. Um, so you can continue giving to George Barnett. But what I want you to do is I want you to pray for this Korean Baptist church in Bossier City and for those 40 or 50 uh, brothers and sisters of ours. And then I also want you to pray about what the Lord would have you to give to the Georgia Barnett missions offering. Um, so at the end of that, as you finish praying, if you want to come up and put something in the plate, feel free to do that. We're not going to pass it around. Uh, it's just right here. If you want to give to Georgia Barnett, put Georgia Barnett in the, uh, in the memo line. Uh, you can give to our church, Georgia Barnett, the memo line. It will, it will go there. Um, there's also an envelope in the back that you can get to put cash in. Uh, but just pray about what the Lord would have you give. Spend a couple minutes and then I'll come up and close us in prayer.
Father, we lift up the Bonsuk Korean Baptist Church in Bossier City. We thank you that when many of us were in high school or college and didn't even know, maybe we didn't even know what Bossier City was, you are so big and powerful that you were already at work drawing these believers, gathering them to yourself. So we thank you for the work uh, that, has, that you've been doing there. We thank you for the way that the, the GBO has been supporting uh, that work. And uh, Lord, we, we just ask that you would encourage those saints, our brothers and sisters, to continue reaching out, not only to Koreans, but also to all of the lost in Bossier City and beyond. Um, and Lord God, we, we ask you to show us what we individually ought to give toward these efforts and pray that um, as you direct, we would be obedient in faith, that we would trust um, and that we would give from faith and that you would use those dollars to, to change people's destinies. Thank you that this is what you do. We pray for all of the people to whom all the works and projects and churches to whom uh, our support will go. And we ask that you would bless it uh, and let gospel impact happen in our state. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, couple of quick announcements for you. Um, number one, Wednesday night. This is the 20th, if I'm not mistaken. It's the 20th. Uh, at 6 o'clock is Ladies' Night. Um, ladies' small group gathering at Olivia Littleton's house, 2142 Marie Street in Alexandria. Uh, if you need directions, you can see me. You can talk to my wife. If you know Olivia or James, you can talk to one of them as well. Uh, and then next Wednesday will be the Men's Gathering. Uh, and we'll have more information on that uh, coming soon. Um, we've moved the... Uh, today was going to be the day that we dedicated babies, but we've moved it to October the 8th. Is that right? Morning service. So if you're still interested in that, I think there's still time to get involved with that. And then the last thing is our fall festival. Festival. We, we put vil at the end of every word for those of you who aren't in the know on that. So Fall Festival is coming, and it's October the 28th, right? Is that right, that date? Okay, it's a Wednesday night or a Sunday night? No, it's a Sunday night. That's a Sunday night. Sunday night, October 28th, Fall Festival. <laughs> it's a Saturday. As I previously said, it's a Saturday. You all heard that. Saturday, October the 28th is the Fall Festival. What time is that, Ronnie, just before I tell everybody wrong? Two o'clock. What a ministry. <laughs> okay. Saturday, October 28th, 2 p.m. Plan to be here. That's all I've got. Anybody else have an announcement? We need trunks. There is no trunk or treat without trunks. So please bring your trunks. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Let's do this. So can we stand together?
Um, for those who are members, uh, we have a, a short members meeting after service, and so stay behind for that. Um, but let's do this. As we prepare to dismiss, can we just sing the doxology together? So let's lift our voices and sing this. Praise God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.